Hello and welcome to the Shmuel Tenenhaus podcast. My name is Shmuel Tenenhaus and this is my podcast. Um, so, as you all know, there's a war going on right now with Israel. And we will start by saying a psalm, Psalm 121. Shirla Malais Esa Enaila Harim Ayn Yave Ezri, a song for a sense. I turn my eyes to the mountains, from where will my help come? Ezri Miimadinai Isish Maimbaretz, my help comes from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. Ayitin la Maitragacha Yanan Shamrecha, he will not let your foot give way, your guardian will not slumber. Hinaila Yanavalishan Shame Israel, see the guardian of Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. Adinai Shamrecha, Adinai Tsicha, Yadi Binecha, the Lord is your guardian. The Lord is your protection at your right hand. By day the sun will not strike you, nor the moon by light. The Lord will guard you from all harm. He will guard your life. The Lord will guard your going and coming now and forever. Yet another uh, part of our davening and prayers that I more than ever now can relate to, as I'm sure we all can. Uh, I mentioned last week that my folks were in Israel when the war started, and uh, and they are since back, and I wanted to share some dispatches from Jerusalem because that's where they were. Just I asked them, what is the feeling on the ground? What, is, what was your feeling like being in Israel? Um, uh, you know, for the last for the last thirty days or so, and my mom said, "We are shining as a people, and there's so much unity and self-sacrifice in the air." And my dad said that they went to visit soldiers. His goal was to lift the morale of the troops, but he ended up having his own morale lifted and boosted because. The troop morale is very high. So, yes, many, many, uh, many, many positive things to report. I also want to mention, and maybe I'm the only one, but I'm definitely feeling more connected, more connected to uh, being Jewish, more connected to my prayers and learning and all sorts and any form of spirituality. Definitely feeling a lot more connected to uh, some of my anxiety, uh, there's a strong connection there, but uh, that's the overall feeling that I'm that I'm having. I will say it's a beautiful thing that a Jewish philanthropist is doing now to combat antisemitism. Is he says uh, we need to procreate, so uh, he's giving uh, couples vouchers for hotel for 48 hours and uh, the lights are dimmed in the room and I mean obviously he's not asking for any video evidence but the idea is that you should go to the hotel and make Jewish babies that's literally what we have to do right now so that we can continue to survive as a people since last week was Chaye Sarah I wanted to share a story that happened with me and I was studying in Israel at the time, and 
for those of you who are not familiar, Chaya Sura in Israel is kind of like Woodstock. Everybody goes to Hebron. And I'm not, I wonder if they did it this year. And uh, so when I was in Yeshiva, we did that. Now, my American friends with me in Yeshiva, they had plans. They went there. It was premeditated. For me, it was kind of last minute. I went, I'm of time, to Israeli bases. And then we pulled into Hebron. And there was a lot of uh, Jewish people there, as you can imagine. And uh, I recall I ended up spending the night sleeping in a synagogue. And as a blanket, I used a talus, almost like shrouds. And so it wasn't necessarily the most glamorous accommodations that I had, but it was definitely a beautiful Shabbos to be there. Actually, when we were driving there, our car had a flat and it was not in a very Jewish-friendly neighborhood. And uh, IDF came by, they saw what was going on, Without asking, they stood with us and stayed with us until help came and we were able to proceed. Now, I had an idea of how we could potentially stave off some of the anti-Semitism and anti-Israel sentiment that's happening in the United States and abroad. And this might be a little controversial, but like many good ideas when they first come up, they could be controversial until people get around with the idea. So I think what we ought to do as a people is get ourselves a letter. So you do have um, minority groups, and particularly most recently you have the LGBTQ community. And what I'm suggesting is we reach out to the LGBTQ committee and say, can you add the letter J to the end of the acronym? So it's LGBTQJ for Jew because we are an oppressed minority and we obviously do have different laws of intimacy just like anybody who's part of the LGBTQJ community and like this I think we'll end up getting a lot of support because we will be with a group that is very very popular in general and particularly on college campuses, maybe there would be a more open understanding of the Jewish people. Now, if they don't let us add a J, then this is clearly anti-Semitism because all we're asking for is a J. There's no J there. Please put the J there. Um, I did not make it to the rally for Israel. Uh, it seems like they did that so fast they pulled that together. Um, I have obviously friends and family that went there. I also have a very close relative. What he is doing for Israel is every day he makes sure to go eat at an Israeli restaurant. So uh, a falafel place, a shawarma place, even if he's not hungry, he will go and support Israel by eating there. And when he does eat there, sometimes he will buy a second or third portion of food and eat it so he doesn't make the people feel bad. But that's really how he is showing up for Israel um, by, again, going to an Israeli establishment and and eating lunch there. Uh, Some people are curious, what are things that they can do for Israel that will help the situation and, most importantly, make 
them feel better as people because they are doing something for Israel. So here's one thing that you can do. Um, you could stand outside of Serendipity, which is a kosher ice cream store here in Florida. Uh, there's different ones. There's Zohar's Gelato. There's another frozen yogurt place. And as Jewish people are walking out with their ice cream, you can tell them, seriously, Israel's at a war right now. People are getting killed and slaughtered, and you're just walking out of an ice cream store like nothing's happening. And if you really, really want to go out of your way, you can also just take the full ice cream and throw it on the floor uh, just to show them how serious of a situation that, that's going on right now and how they should be approaching the situation uh, with a lot more respect. I've also heard that um, husbands, Jewish husbands, for the last couple of weeks have been on much better behavior in their homes. And it's obvious the reason is because women are also taking you know, lessons at the gun range and they have their own weapons. So finally... We're at a time where even though it's a very challenging time, the wives are getting more respect because they are armed in their house. And even though the men are also armed, they typically don't know where their stuff is. They have to check with their wife first. So the wife has the advantage there. She's got the weapon. He doesn't. So yeah, of course, he's going to take the groceries out of the car right when she asks. So... The other thing I, I want to tell you is I, I really want to um, describe the predicament that we find ourselves in, the story of the Jews right now. And it's very simple. I parked the other day to go to work, and there's this homeless woman who's next to 7-Eleven, and I see her all the time. And this homeless woman looks at me, and she says, we're praying for you in our church. And of course, I said, thank you. We'll take all the prayers we can get. But that's their situation that homeless people are coming over to me and saying, we are praying for you. That should underscore, you know, how serious of a situation that we're in today. And uh, somebody else, actually, I saw somebody else in an elevator at a hotel. And she also said, we're praying for you. And uh, thank you very much. We will definitely take all the prayers we can get. And I was on Sterling Road, and I saw a Baptist church which said, pray for Israel, or we're praying for Israel. And I was very excited to see it. I almost wanted to pull up and walk in and tell them thank you. But that would be, of course, potentially against my religion because I'd be going into another religion so I'm very appreciative of the sign and for all the people that are praying for us because we definitely could use, like I said, all the prayers that we can get. The next topic we're going to go to is about uh, restaurant etiquette and some observations about either the etiquette or what's going on in the restaurant. So the first thing is we talk. We have to talk about standing, standing your ground. And that is when you are in a restaurant with your significant other 
or insignificant other. Let's say you don't like the other person, so they're another, but they're insignificant. And your other decides, hey, there's another couple that we know in the restaurant. Let me go walk over and say hello. Now, you would think that if the conversation starts dragging out, that as a mensch, you should stand up from your table and walk over because it looks a little awkward that your spouse is having a great time with another couple and you're kind of the odd one out at your table. And I'm here to tell you that absolutely not. You have to stand your ground on behalf of me and everybody else who decides that they have to stand their ground. You cannot get up from your table and go there. It sets a bad precedent because what if your significant other wants to stop, start going to every single table in the restaurant, then you're going to have to start going to every, you know. So it's a very, very, I think it's a very slippery slope. The second thing is who's going to be at your table guarding your food and your position? Like somebody else can go sit there and take the food that you have. So it's very important, like I said, out of principle, to stay there. Now, when your significant other comes back, you can go to the bathroom and then on the way back from the bathroom, stop at the table and explain to yourself, hey, listen, I didn't come over before because I was standing my ground. Now I had to get up anyways, so I'm coming to say hello to you. The other thing which is uh, I find fascinating in the restaurant is they bring the dessert menu at the end. And for me, that's always a bummer because by the time dessert comes around, I'm A, full, B, completely broke. So it's not a really a good time to pitch me on the dessert. What you want to do is you want to put your best foot forward. In the restaurant, as I sit down, show me your dessert menu. Because one, I still have a little available cash. And two, it's probably the least disappointing things that you have to offer is on that dessert men menu because nobody's really going to complain about the desserts. The, the bar is low and desserts are typically not that bad at all. I also noticed that the whole idea of taking leftovers from a restaurant, it used to be like, I wouldn't say a classy thing, but an accepted thing to do. The script has flipped. At this point, they what they do is, rather than them take it and package it nicely for you in the back, they come out and they bring you uh, a piece of tinfoil or a carton or a container or an old sneaker and they say, okay, here's your food now. We want you to shove it into whatever receptacle we gave it so you can walk the walk of shame out of the restaurant holding your leftovers. It's almost like a reverse psychology thing where, again, they're bringing it to you and it's a little of a hassle and everybody kind of sees you scraping the food off. If a French fry falls on the floor, you want to take it, you want to dip it in your water, clean it off a little take it with you and go out and uh, kind of throws a whole lot of water on the, the whole idea about taking stuff out of the restaurant. Uh, next thing I want to mention is uh, an aged wine argument. And this is something I have with my wife all the time. And uh, by the way, when I talk to people and say, what's happening with the war? Uh, a lot of times, the married people that I speak to uh, get confused and they think I'm talking about the war between them and their spouse. And they're like, yo, well, we're going to therapy. Hopefully this war will be over. And I'm like, hey guys, I'm not talking about the insignificant little war that you and your wife are having. I'm talking about what's happening with the Jews and Israel. It's a different type of war. So what happens is sometimes on Shabbos, we drink 
a little wine, because we have to make Kiddush on it. And then I will leave it on the counter so that we can drink it the next week and then the week after and the week after. And my wife says, we have to throw this out because it's old. And I always tell her, wait a second, this is an aged wine. Let's say this was from 2019. So this is a four-year-old wine and the grapes of that particular year were fantastic because I heard somebody from somebody who was barefoot jumping on them to extract the juice from it that it was just incredible. It had this great rubbery feeling. Now it was four years. Now if we've been using it to last four weeks, it's four years and a month. So why or how could wine get older and that's a bad thing when really it's all about the aging if somebody can please, please clue me in. Then I want to talk a little bit about the importance. This is very important for men. Husbands, so oftentimes your wife will tell you something and she doesn't want to ask you for something directly. So she will make a statement hoping that your dumb male brain will pick up on what she's saying but really asking you. For example... She will say something along the lines at night of, I left my Kindle in the car. Now, if you had any brains, you'd be like, oh, I would love to go fetch that Kindle from the car for you, my wife. Because again, she doesn't want to imposition you, so she's not asking, or maybe she doesn't feel safe by asking. Now, it's very important, very important to not pick up on the cues. So when she says, oh, there's a Kindle in my car, don't make the mistake of offering or interpreting that in the way that your wife intended. Rather, when she says a statement like that, you say, oh, what a great place for the Kindle to be. It's great that it's not outside in the rain. And then immediately fall asleep wherever you are, even if it's the middle of dinner, because that will get you a pass for having to go do the errand that you need to go. And again, this could be sometimes you may be mystified that your wife just makes a comment that almost could imply that it's a request for you. What I'm telling you is stay strong. Pretend like you have no idea what it is. Acknowledge the statement but take it into a completely different direction. So while I know this may not be the easiest time for people, I do want to come out and speak some hard truths about power of ice cream. And this is non-dairy ice cream, which is something that is... Uh, almost a religious or Jewish, from Jewish concept, even though now all the health stores have, you know, nut-free, milk-free ice cream, but we know it as power of ice cream. Power of ice cream is not ice cream. That's all. I'm going to say this one more time. Power of ice cream is not ice cream. You can say, so what is it then? You can say, maybe it's a dip. Maybe it's a filling. Maybe it's an icing. But I don't think that it deserves the moniker of ice cream because 
it's a completely different beast. So if somebody in the future ever mentions power of ice cream to you, you can say, uh, I beg to differ. I heard on the Shmuel Tadalus podcast, there is no such thing as power of ice cream. Again, it, it's a it's a power of sweet dish. It, it's a power of sugary mix, but ice cream it's not. Ice cream is limited to something that has milk and came from a animal udder. The other thing we'll talk about and address is sourdough because our community, face it, we are on the cusp and the cutting edge of all things bread. And every other Jewish family now is selling home-baked challahs. And the ones that are really sophisticated are selling sourdough. And you can also buy sourdough from various stores. And some people even use it on their Shabbos table for Lecha Mishnah. The problem that I have with sourdough, even though some would argue, hey, this is very delicious as a bread, is that, first of all, you do need a sledgehammer or an electric saw to cut through the sourdough. I don't know if it was engineered that way, but the reality is that's what you need to kind of make a dent into the challah. The second thing is, is that even if you have a contraption that allows you to cut through this beast of a bread, it makes a lot of crumbs everywhere. And there's just crust flying in many, many different directions. And... I would just say you got to be cautious and you really need a handyman if you're going to have, you know, or somebody who does woodwork, if you're going to serve sourdough so they can be responsible with maybe a proper cutting board or a a workbench that they could properly slice this. We'll talk now. I want to expand a little bit on some of the dangers that we as a Jewish community are facing. And this has nothing, in my humble opinion, to do with Israel or with any pro-Hamas rallies. This is simply that in kosher grocery stores, particularly I was in Kosher Central last week, If you have a shopping cart and you're shopping there, it could be particularly dangerous. Why is that? It's because there's a lot of products and they have aisles, but the aisles really can't handle even one standard size shopping cart. It's a great idea in theory uh, because everybody is capable of filling up a, a shopping cart in a kosher grocery store with $5,000 worth of groceries in your cart. But, you know, for example, I was turning the corner and there was the, 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 the dairy freezers and fridges were open. And now there was complete bottleneck that people couldn't get past me on my right where the meat and the poultry was. And I think just again, with our small numbers as a people, that we should be much more careful about 
again, some of the accidents or some of the really safety-challenged layouts of kosher grocery stores using full-size shopping carts when the aisles are typically one foot or a half a foot wide. On a work-related note, I was generously invited to participate in a Slack group. And even though I, I wasn't holdless uh, specifically, here's what it means when somebody at work wants you to join a Slack group. What they're saying is, hey, can we add you to the Slack group because we're interested in disturbing the quality of your life. We want to be able to bombard you with useless stuff that you don't need six days a week, seven days a week, whether you Shemr Shabbos or not Shemr Shabbos. We just want to invade your space and send you a bunch of stuff and not pay any attention to what day it is, what time during the day it is, if it's at nighttime. We just want to send a lot of unproductive work-related messages your way. Please, please, please join our Slack group. Um, anyways, that's all I got for this podcast. And have a Shabbat Shalom and a good Gebenshtiyar. And see you all soon.